here with you this morning. Great to be celebrating with you as we talk about Jesus Christ. Man, we've been in a series since September 1 here. We launched the new church name, Summit Point Church. We're talking about a place to belong, pursue, and experience our living God, right? And as we've gone through this, this series now, Summit Life, is all about each week, different ways, different facets that we can experience the greatness of God. What does it mean to know of him? What does it mean to taste of him daily, regularly, passionately, powerfully? That's what we have available to us. Man, it's not meant for once a year. It's not meant for once in a lifetime. Every single day, Lord, may I be blown away with who you are. And all of God's people said, don't miss that. And so as we're talking through this series, each week has been all about a different facet and a different greatness of our God, an experience that we can have with him. Anything from the promises made to him that we can lean on, to the answer to prayer, to healing, God doing miraculous work in our lives in so many different ways. And today we're going to actually be talking about kind of locking down a future statement, a thing that we have still to come in Christ. So if you remember a little bit last week, if you were here, we talked about the Old Testament and how the Old Testament is like a a map, it's a GPS map of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ. And all through the Old Testament, you see stuff stated about him, that he will be the offspring who will crush Satan's head. And then there's statements throughout the Old Testament about Christ fulfilling different facets of the Old Testament. So many of those things have already been fulfilled, right? Jesus already died, he was buried, and he rose. He is the fulfillment of those sacrifices in Old Testament law. Everybody say he fulfilled. He fulfilled those sacrifices. And so as we look to Jesus Christ, we also then are celebrating that law needing to be fulfilled, but it's in Christ. It's no more daily, every day, every week, lambs and sacrifices like that. Jesus Christ is our once for all Lamb of God. So to use the illustration, the GPS map, if you're walking along using one of those walking GPS maps and the blue dots turn gray, right? So many statements about the Messiah are blue dots that have already turned gray. I've accomplished that, Christ is saying. Turned gray, done and over, praise God, fulfilled in him. A few are still blue dots to come. So he's like, don't lose the Old Testament. It gives us a map to some of what's going on. In fact, we're going to look at the end of one of those statements today. That said, I want to make sure we get a little context. So before we dive into this passage, let's make sure we know some of what's going on. Hopefully you remember this. If you were here a year ago, we used this timeline during the Celebration of the Savior series. It was called the Celebration of the Savior. It was about the feasts that were all in the Old Testament and they alluded to Jesus Christ. Seven different feasts to celebrate the Messiah that is to come. Remember the Old Testament points to Christ in so many ways, right? So here's this timeline, just a quick refresher, like all back here is Old Testament, right? This is all Old Testament going on, and there's statements about the Messiah to come. There's hope in him and that future, whatever that might look like, and those things are written down. Then comes Christ. Jesus Christ comes. God with us. Blue dot turned gray. He ends up dying on the cross. He's buried. He is risen. Jesus Christ, him for me, we have hope, right? And so many different facets of Christ being talked about in the Old Testament fulfilled right here. Blue dot turned gray, right? 
Then right after that, the Holy Spirit comes and the church age gets launched. This is about 2,000 years, this church age right now and still going. The church age gets launched. Holy Spirit comes down with fire, with tongues, the launching of hearts on fire for Jesus Christ. He literally writing the law on the hearts of the people now. Holy Spirit come, massive statement as Christ sends the Spirit there. Fulfillment, blue dot turned gray. We're now in the church age, this 2,000 years. We have here what's called the tribulation. This is seven years. Remember, this is 2,000 years. This is seven years. But Tim, they're the same size. Well, the words were really big, you know? (laughs) So just live with it. This is not to scale, right? This is all about 2,000 years in the church age, and the tribulation is seven years at the end of to be able to bring it to a close. It's going to be really important that we grasp that. Jesus Christ then in his full second return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords comes at the end of the tribulation and ushers in the millennium, this thousand year reign of Christ, and then eternity after that, all of eternity with him in full perfection. No pain, no sin, no sorrow, everything set right in the eternity. In the millennium, you see a partial restoration and limited sin here and then back here it's pretty bad right and we see a lot of sin and a lot of hurt and a lot of heartache going on let's just keep this in mind now as we're in the church age one thing that happens here is at this point coming into the tribulation and there's a thing called the rapture some will say it's right before the trib right through the beginning of it or in the middle some will even say the end I'm not going to talk much about where although I probably tip towards right at the front end of it But we end up having Christ calling all those who are dead in Christ up first. The bodies are raised up and immediately glorified and their souls come down and meet the body right there. There's glorified body and glorified soul for those who have already trusted Christ and were dead in Christ. They had already passed away. The dead in Christ are raised first. Then after that, those who are alive and remain, they're raised up in the twinkling of an eye, their body transformed, their soul perfected, and all those who from this point backwards had believed in Christ, dead or alive, have all been glorified, raised up, and they're with Christ for this period of time here during the tribulation, uh, if it's at the front end, the whole seven years of party and celebration with the King of Kings in perfection. Amen. Praise God for that, right? We're called up and we're with him, world's still going on. Imagine how bad it gets when the Holy Spirit pulls back and all those who believe are pulled out and those who are left to be able to go after whatever they want, go after it. That's the tribulation. It starts to go pretty sour and God's letting that happen. In fact, we're going to see some of that today in the passage, all right? At the end of this seven years, remember, we all who have believed in Christ are pulled up, we're over with him celebrating marriage feast of the Lamb. We come down as the holy ones with him. Everybody say, with him. We get to come down alongside. He is on a white horse riding in to take over as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he will reign for this thousand years as King. And all of God's people said... Amen, man. Don't miss it. We get called up. We're with him. We come down and we get to see it all take place side by side with him. This is what we're going to be reading about today. Right here, the second coming of Christ, us coming with and him reigning for the thousand years. Okay? Got it? A little bit of theology 101. Really important we understand it so we've got some context. Here we go. So we're going to look at what it means to experience his final victory. To experience his final victory. Point number one, 
we will see and experience his second coming with thunderous authority. We will see and experience his second coming with thunderous authority. It starts out in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1. Old Testament now, right? Right before Matthew there. A couple books back. Make sure you get to it. Zechariah 14, starting in verse 1. It says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. I'm just going to hold right there. It says, Behold. And when we see the word behold, we say, Watch this, God at work, right? Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. He's like, hang on, it's going to get pretty bad, Israel. I'm telling you, I'm going to be calling all those who believe in me away. We're going to be having a celebration party of glorification, and it's going to unwind down here. Hang on, it's going to get pretty bad. He says, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. Some call this Armageddon. And the city shall be taken and the houses plundered and the women raped. And it's going to get bad as he pulls out the stops and all those who believe in Jesus are pulled away and he's allowing this world to unwind. It says, half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. It's not exactly clear what's happening in this. Either half the city is getting away and the other half decides to stay because it's gotten better or they're all trying to get out but half gets stopped and they stay in the city. Either way, half of the city is being removed. You can tell that God clearly knows what's going to happen. Look at the specificity and what he's saying is going to take place. He's not like, I don't know. It's going to go unwind and I'm not sure quite how. He's like, I'm telling you exactly what's going to happen. And half the people are going to end up getting out of the city. And then he says, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. Then the Lord will go out. Who's going out? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Don't miss it. Yahweh, God Almighty, coming down. Jesus Christ as representation is going out to battle for those who remain. This huge moment is Jesus Christ coming down in that second coming. And this is the sweet moment of him taking a stand. It says, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle, he's going to bring it. It says, on that day, that phrase is going to happen a lot in this passage. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east and the mount shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. Hang on. When Jesus comes back, second coming, at the end, remember he's already called all of us up, believers. We've partied with him for a season, celebrating this glorification. We're all now coming down with, as Jesus comes down, and his foot touches the Mount of Olives, the hill just to the east of Jerusalem. When it touches down, thunderous earthquake. He rumbles the place with who he is and it rips apart in two. A massive earthquake setting down on the Mount of Olives. Why is that a big deal? Don't miss the Mount of Olives and how important that place is. And, uh, it's a really big deal. A couple of verses for you for the Mount of Olives. 
Matthew 29, verses 1 through 9. You might just want to write the verses down. Matthew 29, 1 through 9. This is Jesus Christ, Palm Sunday is what we call it, when he's coming in and they're saying, behold, right, glorious, look who it is. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. And they're crying out and celebrating Jesus Christ coming in on a donkey. He's coming in saying peace. He's coming in saying, this is not war, I'm bringing peace. They had no idea what was coming next, but Jesus did. He was going to the cross. And as he came down the Mount of Olives as the sacrificial king, the sacrificial servant, he was coming in on a donkey to bring peace. Praise God. And uh, at the end of that same week, Matthew 26, verse 36, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. That's right at the foot of the Mount of Olives. He goes right back to the foot of the Mount of Olives and he's praying there and he's saying, Lord, take this cup from me. Father, you know what's going on. I would love for this to be set aside, but whatever it is that you see fit, not my will be done, your will be done. That's at the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. After Jesus Christ goes to the cross and he dies and he rises again and he goes and sees people by the 500s, it's 40 days after his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ goes back to the Mount of Olives. He's standing with the disciples. Acts chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. He's standing with the disciples and he literally starts to ascend up into heaven, physically, right in front of them. And the disciples are like this. Right? Jaw dropped. Whoa. As they're just looking up. And then an angel says something. That, how many times has that happened in your life? Your jaw dropped. You're looking into the heavens and an angel starts talking to you, right? This is a big moment. And an angel starts talking to them. He says, why do you stand looking up? There's a fair answer to that question, right? Why do you stand looking up? He just ascended. He just like went up right in front of us. Why do you stand looking up? This Jesus who was taken up from you will come in the same way. Everybody say in the same way. Amen, man. Don't miss it. This is a promise made, Acts chapter 1. And so when we're reading here in Zechariah 14, and it says that Jesus will come down and his foot will touch the Mount of Olives, Acts chapter 1 being fulfilled. He is coming back just like he went, physically, visibly bringing awe. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, don't miss it, man. As his foot touches down, there will be a massive thunderous earthquake declaring he is awesome. And it will begin to rearrange things on the earth right then and there. We're going to see it continue to take place here. It says, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. It's going to create a rift there. I just want you to get a little vision for what this is. So let's go ahead and throw this picture up. Um, this gives you a little understanding of what the Mount of Olives looks like in Jerusalem. So this is actually me and my daughter. Uh, we were over there uh, in Israel last year and uh, Jana went with. We were over there together. In fact, Jana's taking this picture. And uh, so we were sitting there together. That wall in, just in front of Alyssa to her left, that is the south side of the wall of Jerusalem. Okay, so that's the old city of Jerusalem right there. What's off in the distance there, that's the Mount of Olives. So maybe in your mind you saw it like way miles away. Or maybe you saw it super huge, like the Rocky Mountains. It's, it's a hill, and, and it's right there. 
You know what I'm saying? Like it's really important you grasp the proximity of this stuff. Look at what's right there. And the Mount of Olives, see the top of it there? You can see the flat part. See how it comes down? It's sort of brown. All of that is tombs. Cemetery. Why? Because the Old Testament is super clear that the Messiah is going to come put his foot down on the Mount of Olives and there's going to be a thunderous earthquake that's going to split it in half and they can't wait to make sure that as the dead in Christ arise first, they want to be part of all of that and they want to be right there. That was really what they're doing. They're like, we don't quite get it, but put my tomb pretty close, please, right? That's what's going on with it. Down in the bottom corner, you see the green in the bottom corner there uh, on the Mount of Olives? That's the Garden of Gethsemane. Now you're beginning to see the space. Jesus came down from the top on a donkey. Four days later, Jesus is sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane praying in that bottom left corner. Forty days after the crucifixion and resurrection, he's up on the top of the hill and he ascends up. And the angels say, why are you looking in the heavens? Hang on, he's coming back. And I'm telling you, Zechariah 14, Jesus is going to return physically. His foot is going to touch down on that mount. And there is going to be a massive rift and there is going to be a huge celebration as Christ takes over as King of Kings. And all of God's people said, that was one, amen, man. That was one of the most powerful. I'm not going to interrupt an applause. That was a powerful worship moment sitting there in Jerusalem to take some time to just take in all that's going on with the Mount of Olives. It says the Mount is going to be split north and south, two halves, right? Because it's going to rift through east to west. And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal. Nobody quite knows where that city is. And uh, farther away, apparently, it's making a big deal of it. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. This was a really bad earthquake in the Old Testament times. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Let's capture this sentence. Then the Lord my God will come. Everybody say, that's Jesus. Then the Lord my God will come. Everybody say, that's Jesus. Man, this is his second coming. This is Acts chapter 1 being fulfilled. He's like, then the Lord my God will come. Jesus is coming into this place and all the holy ones with him. Everybody say, that's me. Man, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you were called up and out, glorified body, glorified soul, celebration with Christ. And now as Christ returns to put his foot down, you are with him. Man, we are riding some kind of white horse, it says. Metaphorical or real, I couldn't care less. It says we're coming along with Christ, and he is riding a white horse, meaning war and victory. Jesus Christ is coming to reign. Revelation 19, super clear on all this detail. May God get all the glory. It says the Lord will come, that's Jesus, and all the holy ones with him, and that's us riding alongside. And... uh, It says, on that day, there shall be no light, cold, or frost, and there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time, there shall be light. It's going to be different. It's not depending on the sun and the moon and stars anymore because the one who is the light of the world is here. Jesus Christ has come, and everything changes. The atmosphere changes. The temperature changes. The landscape changes. Jesus Christ ushers in change. 
He is the king of kings, and it's all depending on him. And all of God's people said, and don't miss it, Jesus Christ is coming with huge answer. Have you ever been uh, down south and seen those trees down south that get the vines on them? And the vines just start taking over and it looks like a hot mess. You know what I'm talking about? And the trees are almost getting bound and starved out because the vines wrap around. They don't even let sunlight through. And it actually starts choking the life out of the trees. So imagine there's an oak tree there, right? And it gets the vines starting to wrap around it. And as it goes up, as it wraps around, it begins to limit the life that this thing can have, that this tree can have. So how do they fix it? Well, they actually go in. And they go to a lower portion of the vine and they sever the vine. They cut it so that the bottom portion that feeds up is stopped right there. And then they go away. They go away and they let it sit for months. And the top part of the vine just dies off. And then they come back later and they grab it and they can just pull it off. It's not clinging to anything. It's not living in any way. They just pull it off and take it away. It's a two-step process. First you sever it. Then you come back later and clean it all up. Man, don't miss it. That's exactly what's going on with Jesus Christ. When he came at his first coming, he came to sever the vine. Sin that has taken over in this world and a train wreck of land that has got a bunch of people running for themselves. And he severed the vine. He died on the cross and he rose again and he brings life and life eternal. And all of God's people said... And praise God for that. But you know, all too often we live the severing like it's the thing. Don't miss it. There's a cleanup coming and it's going to take it all away. There is going to be a king who's cleaning up house, man. And Jesus Christ is going to establish once and for all himself as king of kings and lord of lords. May God get all the glory. Simple question for you. And do you have hope? In the King of Kings, are you longing for the King who is to come? And do you grasp that the blue dot is still blue and it's out ahead of us? We're headed for seeing this come true, our Jesus Christ. It's not just about the here and now, in the moment, feel good talk with Jesus. He will reign. Where's your hope? Right? Point number two. Not only will we see and experience his coming, we will then rule for a thousand years over a land that is immediately and miraculously impacted by his glorious presence. We will then rule for a thousand years over a land that is immediately and miraculously impacted by his glorious presence. It says, on that day, remember I told you you'd see that phrase a lot, right? On that day, this probably doesn't mean so much a 24-hour period as a range of time. In that period of time, that word day there in the original Hebrew can mean either one, 24-hour or long period of time, and you start to see references to multiple days along with it. So it's probably a period of time. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem. Everybody say, that's weird. <laughs> you may not know that, but right now the waters flow in. And they knew that. They knew that there were things that they had to count on and trust in for daily life. And on that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. As Jesus' foot touches down, whap, 
thunderous earthquake rips apart, changes the plate structures, water tables shift, and fresh water starts coming up out of Jerusalem and feeding all that is around it, including the seas, becoming fresh watered seas poured into from Jerusalem. All the open plains starting to green up because of what's being provided from this center, Jerusalem. As the king of kings, the creator who speaks and it is, puts his foot down and says, this is my home and it will feed out from here to everyone. Water pouring out, bringing freshness all over the place. It says it shall continue in summer as in winter. And forget about the seasons and forget about things changing during the seasons. Jesus Christ is bringing a consistency when he comes. It says, um, not only will we see all this water shift and the Lord will be king over all the earth. Yeah, see, that's what happens when we read too quickly and too slowly, right? Or too quickly and too silently. It says, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. Please hear me. We are headed for this spot, and this is the way it should have always been, that Jesus Christ and God Almighty ruling as king. When we get to the point where it says, and the Lord will be king over all the earth, we need to erupt into some serious celebration in this room, all right? So we have a second shot here. Get ready. Here we go. It says, I'm going to start all the way at the other paragraph. Um, on that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. Man, man. Man. Don't miss it. This is about Jesus Christ reigning forever as king of kings and lord of lords, and he has put his foot down and taken over. May God get all the glory. Huge. It says, on that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. There is going to be one king. There is going to be one ruler. And he stands over it all, Jesus Christ. It says, the whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem. From, uh, but Jerusalem shall remain aloft and on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate to the corner gate. And from the town of Hanel to the king's winepress. You have this massive statement. Right now there are hills all over the place around Jerusalem. And as, it, as Jesus' foot touches down and you get this thunderous earthquake, the Mount of Olives splits apart, creates a rift. It actually shifts all the plates and all these hills and mountains collapse down to a flat plain. But Jerusalem stays aloft. The place of the holy residing of Jesus Christ will be up above. And water will flow out from Jerusalem into all the plains around. And everything will get rich and green and lush. Because where Jesus is, things are awesome. And all of God's people said, and don't miss it, a massive shifting in the entirety of the world. Remember, it's just gone through a seven-year tribulation. This world is a mess and Jesus is cleaning it up by his foot touching down and his presence coming in. It says that all of this will happen and it shall be inhabited. 
for there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. Everybody say peace. Jesus is bringing in peace. Praise be to God. Jesus is bringing in hope. He will reign and rule as king over all, and there will be peace and provision on this earth. Remember, you and I now, we have already been captured up, if you believe in Jesus, captured up at the front end of the tribulation, glorified body, glorified soul coming along. We came down with, there are still people on earth, humans, who are now experiencing Jesus Christ coming in as king and taking over. And it's pretty clear in the passage to come what that's going to look like. And uh, super important that we grasp it. It says, and this shall be the plague with which the Lord shall strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. There are people who are literally going to be saying, we're in charge of this earth. And we're not going to stand for this one who puts his foot down and says, I'm taking over. We're coming against him. This is the Armageddon talk. This is the nations being gathered that we see in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter. They're all now rallying together and they're getting ready to come against Christ. This is the same war you see in Revelation 19. Revelation 19 talks about Jesus Christ coming again. And it brings a massive statement of his power and authority. It says, from Jesus' mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Jesus Christ, he is coming on a white horse, and all of his holy ones coming with him on white horses, and there is one weapon, Jesus' word. That's the only weapon. We don't bring weapons. We're just figuring out how to ride a horse. That's our thing. Don't fall off, man, right? That's our thing. We're coming down, and we're watching him do his thing. The only weapon is his spoken word. It's called here in Zechariah 14, a plague which the Lord shall strike all the peoples that wage war against him. Any of the kings and warriors and any of those things used for war against Jesus Christ are going to reap it. Jesus Christ is bringing it. Amen, man. Don't miss it. It says here, here we go. Here's the plague. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Well... Yeah, amen. Yeah. Everybody may want to say bummer. Uh, bottom line, rebellion will not stand. And all of God's people said. And those who are standing against Jesus, their flesh will rot while they are standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. This would make a good movie, right? And uh, I'm just telling you, in the moment... As Christ's foot touches down and there is an earthquake that thunders and rips and there is a shifting of all the plates and the water flows change and the presence of Jesus Christ changes all of the geography and the atmosphere and things are beginning to be different. He turns and in that moment says some words we don't know what. It is finished. It's done. No more. Whatever he says, whatever he cries out, his spoken word, the only word, and it melts right in front of him. Over. Don't kid yourself, man. This isn't much of a battle. They ride in to take over, and Christ speaks, and they rot where they stand in a second. Still standing on their feet, it's gone. Rebellion squelched for all the armies that stand against him. 
gives good clarifying here in Zechariah 14 of what's going to be happening if you go to Revelation 19. And it's a little more vague there, but it just says Christ and his spoken word. Here it's telling you what it is. It says, and on that day, a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them. That could bring some panic, right? And uh, a great panic shall come on so that each will seize the hand of another and the hand of the one uh, will be raised against the hand of the other. He's like, literally, the Lord is going to create a confusion and people are going to start rallying together, freaking out at what's going on and who's in charge and what should we do. And those who will have nothing to do with Christ start rising up against each other. They're taking their own lives. They're freaking out in the midst. Then it says, even Judah will fight at Jerusalem. And the wealth of the surrounding nations shall be collected, gold, silver, garments in great abundance. In other words, when you speak and the kings melt, there's some things that can be picked up that are laying on the ground, you know? It's not a hard battle at that point as they go to pick up the gold and the silver and whatever was left from these nations that came in. And they're now taking over. Christ is in charge. The war is won with a spoken word. And there are now those who are seeing Jesus Christ and they're saying, I'm not fighting that. I'm not in the war with that. I'm getting who he is. Man, I'm telling you, we've talked about it before in the Celebrate the Savior series, but as Jesus Christ comes down, there are Jewish people who are looking for a Messiah to come as king. Man, are they gonna get it. There are Jewish people who are looking for a God who's in charge. Can you imagine the aha moment when you all of a sudden go, that was him. This is for real. I'm in. And all of a sudden there is a following of Jesus Christ by some. And those who don't stand against Christ and they're rotted right where they stand. And it's over. And Jesus Christ is closing out with clarity what's going on. And for those who stand with him, well, they start picking up the plunder, the stuff that's left from the rebellion that was squelched. It says, and a plague like this plague shall fall on the horses, the mules, the camels, the donkeys, and whatever beasts may be in those camps. Everybody say those camps. Whatever they use for war is gone. And it says in Revelation 19, the kings and all the men and all those horses and everything that comes with, gone. This is exactly the same statement. Jesus Christ takes over in one spoken word and the plague is immediate, gone. Melt right in front of your eyes, done. That's what's going on. Man, may we grasp these words. Revelation 20, verse six, just a little bit after this word, it says, blessed are the holy, and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection That's you and me as we get glorified and we're hanging with Jesus Christ, celebrating him. Blessed are the ones who are with him, who were caught up, had the party, and came down with, and were just witnessing this coming down. Over such, the second death has no power. They will be priests of God and of Christ. They will reign with him for a thousand years. Revelation 20, verse 6, as Jesus comes in, as his foot touches down, as the earthquake rumbles, as the world gets transformed, as he speaks and the rebellion ends, you and I get to celebrate with him and it says literally he starts handing out responsibilities. Hey, as we run this, I'm going to need you to go over here and do that. You got it, right? 
hey, I'm going to need you to take this over, and will you please run it like this? Yes, sir, absolutely. There is a massive privilege of serving alongside the king of the universe, and all of God's people said, and we get to reign with him for a thousand years and watch him lead like none other. Hope. We have hope in this spiritual, bankrupt world. There is hope. Jesus Christ is going to put it right. And all of God's people said, hope. May we grasp it with all we've got. You know, we are currently planting churches in Haiti. You know that. We have six churches down there now that we planted. Three more that we're trying to get planted. And um, I'm just going to say it this way. Hope is not a word you would use about what's going on down there right now. Maybe you haven't been keeping up a little bit with what's going on, but bottom line is the president and a number of people around the president uh, down there, uh, president of Haiti, chose to take on uh, money that wasn't theirs and take it for themselves and live very wealthy and allow the poverty to continue to below them. Well, sooner or later, they had to make good on some of the stuff they were taking because it actually belonged in various people's pockets. And so as they needed to now pay back, they decided to tax the people who already are in poverty. So they went with a huge gas tax. It's like one of the few things that they have to kind of bring life into sort of even the 20th century was gasoline. And he started taxing it with all he had. The people went into full rebellion. This has been going on for about a year and a half, but it got real bad recently, like in the last couple months, to the point where we've had to cancel a couple trips down and just say we can't be down there. Embassies down there were saying, be careful, I wouldn't travel right now, and there's things going on that are really bad. At this point, this last week, they actually had a bunch of people go onto the airport runway at Port-au-Prince and sit down on the runway and say, there's only two planes that are going to travel on this runway. The one is coming in to grab this president and get him out, and the other is that same plane getting him out. And those are the only two planes that are working on this runway. They began to try to take control in the absence of hope. Man, please hear me. When we have no hope, we start raising up our control. We start trying to dictate and mandate and manipulate to get what we want. Our job is to live recognizing this, that in the spiritual world, Jesus Christ brings hope. In the long term for this physical world, Jesus Christ brings hope. May we look to him, may we count on him, may we hope in him. This world is not going to get righted because you and I try to make sure everybody sees the way it should really be. It's not going to happen. As we continue to live exactly like we should live in making much of Christ, there is going to be a large contingent of people that say, no thanks, I want it my way. Christ is going to bring the final solution. He is our hope. And all of God's people said, let's not sit on the runway demanding some changes. Let's make sure that we are saying, Lord God, I'm worshiping you with all I've got and I'm willing to be a light in a dark world until you come. My hope is Jesus coming. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. He is our hope. Man, just say, come, Lord Jesus, loud as you got. Come, Lord Jesus, louder, bigger. May we be a church that lives that cry. We long for him to be our hope.
May Jesus Christ get the glory. Point number three. During the thousand years, Jesus Christ will be worshipped as the one and only physical king of all kings. During the thousand years, Jesus Christ will be worshipped as the one and only physical king of all kings. What's it going to be like in the millennium? What's it going to be like after Jesus comes back and we start into that thousand years? By the way, the word millennium, you'll never find it in the Bible, right? But mill means a thousand, right? So millennium, that's about the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ as king of kings. You see it in Revelation 20, called out as a duration of a thousand years. Here in Zechariah 14, we see what it's going to be like during that thousand years. So super important that we grasp this now. Remember, all those who believed in Jesus Christ, dead first and then the rest, caught up, glorified, perfected, coming over with Christ, and at the end of the tribulation, coming down with him, fully glorified, fully perfected, coming down, and he hands out responsibilities, okay? So we have great privilege. From this point, we'll have unbelievable vantage point, being perfected and hanging with Jesus Christ. Praise God for that, amen? Well, that's a weak amen, amen? Man, we gotta love that. But, but there are people living on the earth and the war is going to be one word long and Christ is going to end it and they'll rot where they stand. And then there are those who remaining who look and go, I'm in with Christ. So now you have humanity that's in with Christ. They come across into the millennial kingdom. Humanity coming across into the kingdom and us being rulers over it. May God get the glory. Here's what it's going to look like. It says, then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem... Everybody say they're saved. It's probably a pretty appropriate way to read that. They have now trusted in Jesus Christ. They are not standing against him. The words of Christ did not rot them where they stood. All those who survive of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts. Everybody say that's Jesus. They're going to go up to worship Jesus and to keep the feast of booths. Okay, so now remember back a year ago. Do you remember there were seven feasts and the last one is called the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths is the celebration of God dwelling with us. He's like, now that Jesus has come down and he has put his foot down and he has changed the lay of the land and he's taken over and he's king of kings, lord of all hosts, time to celebrate every year with a God dwelling with man moment, Feast of Booths. Every year, a celebration is going to go down where people come in and celebrate. Nations represented, tribes represented, even families represented as they come in to celebrate that Jesus Christ is with them. As they come in to see him, all the land has been turned to plains, flat out, rich green. And you're walking through the most lush stuff ever as the waters are pouring off fresh water from Jerusalem. As you come up the mountain, you are coming up to the kingdom of Jerusalem with Jesus Christ sitting on the throne. And literally as they walk into the presence of the physical Christ Messiah, they are worshiping. God is with us. That's the millennial kingdom, man. A celebration annually going on where they remember Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. It says, if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, everybody say, that's a terrible plan. Right? If anybody won't grasp who Jesus Christ is and they refuse, then it says, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. 
There shall be the plague with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the feast of booths. He's like, just so we're clear, it's going to be physically very obvious immediately as Jesus Christ is controlling all the geographic and atmospheric moments that when you choose to not treat him as the one king of the universe in charge of this world, it stops raining on your food plots. All of a sudden, with immediacy, you're like, this is not working out. Immediate. Why am I distancing from him? He's got all the power and authority. It's going to be an absolutely clear moment of Jesus Christ in charge and the humanity in the world still having some sin, right? Limited sin in the millennial kingdom. People there who aren't quite getting it at times. And he's like, it's going to be made really clear to them through physical things like rain not being there, that the feast of booths and celebrating the presence of God Almighty is essential. It says, this shall be the punishment to Egypt. Why well, keep saying Egypt? A massive firepower nation and he's like I'm telling you even yes Egypt will have to answer to Jesus Christ he is the king of kings he is king do you know what that phrase means king of kings that means there are kings no he sits over all of them he's in charge of everything king of kings he is the one and only ruler Jesus Christ there is no other king you answer to but Jesus Christ. Amen, man. That is our God. And that is the thousand-year reign of Christ here on earth. It says, this shall be the punishment to Egypt and the punishment to all the nations that did not go up to keep the feast of booths. Jesus Christ is going to reign with high clarity. I love this part. It says, and on that day, there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord. Now, for you and me, that doesn't mean much. But just so you know, horses were not viewed as holy. Horses were viewed as filthy. And so to declare a horse holy to the Lord, you are saying something about the public life, that all horses everywhere are declared holy. They are under the kingship and the rulership and the headship of Jesus Christ. And so yes, even the public things that used to be filthy are viewed as holy to the Lord. He's in charge. It says, and pots in the houses of the Lord shall be as the bulls before the altar, bulls before the altar, super holy. The pots, super not holy. Now all of it viewed as holy to the Lord. Everything is viewed as holy. Yes, the public life. Yes, the religious life. All those pieces used in the temple and whatever else. It says, and everyone, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts and the private life. Everything, every little knickknack up in your cabinets, right? All that the people have at that time, holy. Why? There is no more secular and then sacred. It is all sacred. Jesus Christ is king. He is physical king. He is spiritual king. He is Lord of lords. He is almighty in charge of it all. And all of it is his holy no more secular and sacred. No more separation of church and state. And all of God's people said, there is one massive celebration and Jesus Christ is leading it all. He's in charge. It is a theocracy, God ruling. It is a Christocracy, Jesus Christ ruling. It is absolutely glorious. 
as God makes this place reflect him in charge. Everything is declared as holy. It says, and there shall be no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. Not traitor, traitor, T-R-A-D-E-R. Nobody who needs to transition the uh, secular stuff into the sacred stuff. Nobody, when you come up, you're like, I don't know, man, I need a dove. What do I give you? Well, you can give me one of your ropes. You can give me, right? And they start trading and bartering in order to get um, this holy stuff. Now, everything is considered sacred. No trading needed. What you have is rightly under the king of the universe, Jesus Christ, and he sits in charge. Blue dot out in front of us. It's still to come. Jesus Christ will be victorious. Man, as we are plodding through this earth, I'm just going to visit up here again. As we are plodding through this earth, remember this. We are in this stage. We are in the church age. And we are longing and waiting for Jesus Christ to come. There is going to be a moment where in this seven years we have been called up and out and we are prepping for a celebration with him. And at that moment as he sees fit, at the end of the tribulation, when it goes really bad down here, Jesus comes in thunderously in charge. He rules over all. He establishes it with his foot touching down. And with that power and that spoken word, it is immediately made his kingdom. And for a thousand years, there is massive celebration of God with us. There is no more sacred and secular. It all sits under Jesus Christ, him in charge. At the end of the thousand years, he cleans up shop one last time in massive ways. New heaven and new earth come, and we're in eternity forever with him. And all of God's people said, victory is Jesus Christ. So our longing from this vantage point cannot wait for Jesus Christ to come cannot wait for him to rule as he calls us up to the heavens first for us to be with him and be glorified and be preparing along and then coming down as he takes charge may God get all the glory and all of God's people said that is our hope victory in Jesus Christ let's pray 